Uh, so we, uh, hi, um, we, uh, we didn't say who is going to do intro. I can, I can kick us off. I thought you were going to do that. <laughs> it's all good. Um, hello everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We are here with two lovely guests, which I'm going to let them introduce themselves pretty soon. We are um, at episode 27 uh, seven of our um, AI podcast, and I'm super excited to have my colleague and friend JK here with us. Hi, JK. It's been a long time. Good to see you. Um, yeah, I, I forgot the intro. Uh, it's been so long. <laughs> It's, it's all good. It's all good. And we are excited to have two lovely guests with us, Sam and Josh. Um, would you mind introducing yourself to our audiences? Absolutely. So my name is Samantha. I'm the co-founder of a, a research lab, Decoded AI, uh, which has been working for the past six years to make AI risk identifiable, quantifiable, and valuable to make AI highly adoptable. Um, if we were to be eviscerated from this earth and could only leave behind one sentence, uh, which expressed the genesis of our work, it would be that AI is a practice of seeding decisions to autonomous systems that actively co-shape us. And AI engineering is a process of substantiating claims that can be leveraged to persuade people to seed this a decision. Um, personally, over the past six years, we've built AI systems, audited them, created tools to do both, uh, contributed to policy, but our main job has been to take AI risk from a cost drain to a value add uh, by rethinking how we're actually doing um, this with AI. Yeah, and we're now commercializing that work with a product called Cover Your AI, which increases recurring sales of AI products by financially guaranteeing the quality of predictions at the point of sale. So it becomes really easy to build and nurture buyer belief in AI systems and makes them really adoptable. Uh, so That's very interesting. Yeah, sorry, so, JK, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, sorry. Um, are we have you said the decoded AI? Sorry, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. would you like us to talk more about what we're doing, or uh, apologies for that? Uh, I've had to <laughs> re uh, remove the, uh, this part. I'm just uh, a little bit. Um... Yeah, that's okay. Um, I was thinking that can we do a starting again rather than because <laughs> yeah. right from here, um, yeah. and uh, so me. Would you like to start again? And then, yes, I can um, start. So when you can start again, and then um, Somi, you introduce yourself and JK. Sure. To, you, you just don't introduce yourself. Like JK will be introduced by Somi, and Somi will okay. introduce herself. And then and then over to you, Sam, and, and Josh, if you can also introduce yourself, because Sam introduced mm -hmm. her, herself, but yeah. you did not. So that would be better. And then we can go with the natural flow. Do you want to have the question where you say um, talk about yourself and decoded, so it's all bundled in one question? Yeah, yeah. But then, since Josh was not a part of it at that time, so Just if you can, I'm the co-founder. So I'm here with Josh because yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yes, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So as part of the intro, you will answer the first question, and then JK will ask the second question, which is the how yeah. do you define functional safety? Yeah. Okay, uh, and cool. uh, apologies for my confusion. <laughs> That's I, okay. I, oh, good. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no, been a lot of things happening right before. Don't worry. It's combat. all good. We don't worry about it. Yeah, time in the calendar, so we can no, yeah, no, we no, have time. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, all right, let's start from I'll the beginning. Go, yeah, um, so there will be no um, countdown. So me, as soon as I go, you just start, right? So just end the recording maybe and uh, start again. Or do you want to just cut it off? Oh, okay. We'll just cut the yeah. first five minutes. Yeah, we'll okay, cut cool. the we'll, we'll trim it. Okay. That's it. It's easy. Uh, because if I close the record, end the recording. Yeah, no, I understand. Good. Okay. Okay. Are we ready? Hi, everyone. Excited to be here. Uh, we are here with another episode of our AI, the podcast. We are at episode number 27. My name is Somi, AI MVP from Microsoft, and I'm here with my lovely colleague and friend, JK. He's joining from Brisbane. Excited to see you, JK. We, are, um, we have two lovely guests with us, Sam and Josh. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit more about Decoded AI. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Um, my name is Samantha and I'm here with Josh and we're founders of Decoded AI. So we have a research lab which has been working for the past six years to make AI risk identifiable, quantifiable and valuable so that we can increase AI adoption. Um, if we were eviscerated from this earth and could only leave behind one sentence that expresses the genesis of our work, it would be that AI is the process of seeding a decision to autonomous systems that actively co-shape us. And that AI engineering is a process of substantiating claims that can be leveraged to persuade people to seed a decision. Personally, over the six years, we've built AI systems, we've audited them, created tools to do both, contributed to policy, but our main job has been to take AI risk and make it take it from cost strain and make it a value add uh, by re rethinking what we're actually doing with AI. Yeah, and the main body of work that we're doing now is commercializing a lot of our work with a product called Cover Your AI which increases recurring sales of AI products by financially guaranteeing the quality of AI systems at the point of sale so that it becomes really easy for people who build good AI systems to also build and nurture buyer belief in what they've done. That's really awesome. I really want to check this now. <laughs> uh, so uh, how do you define function, uh, functional safety for AI systems and what are the best practices to achieve it? So functional safety is most frequently defined as the safeguards that we place on an AI system. But in order to understand it, we first need to think about how AI actually makes an economic impact on a business. So in our construction of AI, we believe that it meaningfully changes our behavior only when we actually seed a decision to the system so that that decision can then be exercised at macro scale with micro granularity. And the mechanism required to seed a decision to a system is this kind of highway that we call trust. And a large body of what we need to do in order to get economic gains is make that highway as frictionless as possible. So when you're engineering these systems and thinking about how can I build trust so that someone will actually seed a decision, one of the pillars that you might care about is functional performance. But it's really not that effective to say, this system detects dogs. 
doesn't give you the information that you need to then build trust to encourage someone to use the system. So where we actually find ourselves looking is what are the limitations of the system? Where does it start to fail? And the role of functional safety is to ensure that whenever someone is using the system, that because we know the limits where it's going to fail, they always stay well within those limits so that it always performs as expected. That's that's very interesting. It got me thinking. I have one follow-up question, but I will ask the second question first. With the, with the framework that you just suggested, what are the common maybe security risks that is associated with the AI system that you have encountered and how we can mitigate those? Yeah, so we typically identify AI risks using a sentence that we, we created and we've developed um, with some variables that you can substitute in to come up with attacks on a system. We developed this in response to a plethora of 200 page AI frameworks that are being released every week, uh, but that didn't provide useful mechanisms to analyze the systems and associated risks. Um, we, when, when thinking about an AI security event, it's basically made up of both humans and AI. And things can happen during the development or at the moment of reliance where an attacker interferes with our understanding of the meaning of the system, the grounds that are being proce uh, processed for the decision or with the decision making function itself. Um, these are kind of the types of variables that you can substitute within our sentence. The outcome of an AI security event um, will be to break some level of this reliance. And if it is detected, then there has to be some sort of measurable event. Yeah, so it's hard to express the sentence in this particular <laughs> format. So instead to describe it, I'll just pick two common AI security events and, mm -hmm. and apply the sentence to it. So one common one that's quite widely known is, is called data poisoning. And the way that our sentence works to describe it goes something like this, where we say, we can corrupt the decision at the machine level during construction by interfering with the decision-making function to break many reliances realized as underperformance. The effect of thinking about data poisoning like this, rather than someone having slipped poison data into the data set, is that we can immediately derive where we need to look for mitigation. So our defensive control is going to be at the machine level during construction around the decision-making function. Uh, rather than saying we need a pristine data set that's totally unpoisoned, we say we're going to insert something at that level that's going to distort the, uh, the cost of executing that attack. Um, the main way that we think about mitigation is sort of twofold. You can't make a system 100% secure without really just constantly draining the battery of your team. They have to be constantly working to uphold that narrative. So what's more effective is to try put a dollar price on how much it would cost to break into a system. And that says that an actor to do that needs to have, say, for instance, $5,000 per attempt. The maximum economic damage or economic gain that they can get, if it's below that, they're, they're not going to execute that attack. The thing that we do to mitigate then is not to prevent attacks, but is instead to raise the costs of executing attack beyond some threshold, which you've defined in a threat model. And this is a common practice within high security environments, like, like national security and defense. So um, it's, 
it's really hard to prevent all attacks and that's that's basically impossible so yeah. focus on bringing up barriers and understanding where your resources are going so it can be tar targeted defense of ai systems so in terms of data poisoning when you're raising the costs of a data poisoning attack it's going to happen at the machine level during construction and it'll be provable that whatever you've done at that point increases the cost of the attack and that's how we say it's been sufficiently mitigated interesting you kind of answered my question that i had earlier so you're actually imposing there is a framework that you are imposing it will introduce some limitation but at the same time it does mitigate risks which is interesting yeah we, we've had to work quite hard to come up with particular ways of language that let uh, security professionals who don't know a lot about ai express meaningfully in a way that the ai engineer can then directly translate it to tests and defensive mechanisms to implement and at the core of it, we have one sentence that defines uh, AI really well and what we need from it and people's roles uh, interacting with it. Um, but we also have this sentence. So I guess, could you call it a framework? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, we kept tried to keep it as minimally imposing as possible. So it's really uh, easy to uh, wield in conversations between different stakeholders and uh, that come from different knowledge bases. That's yeah, that all, makes sense. Yeah, that's all awesome. And I kind of have a question uh, already prepared about data quality, which kind of a lot of things that you said do addresses, but on top of it, the privacy issues uh, on mm -hmm. the data, how does uh, everything impact when you develop uh, AI? Yeah, I, I think this is a really good opportunity to talk specifically about the persuasion component. So we say that AI engineering is about substantiating claims about a system that can be leveraged to persuade someone to seed a decision. Uh, so when you're thinking and about developing and deploying an AI system, one of the claims that someone might require could fall in this kind of bucket of privacy. And they might say something like, before I'm willing to seed the decision, I would need to know that the system processes the grounds of the decision in ways that are compliant with our privacy requirements. Our really challenging job as AI engineers is then to figure out how to substantiate the claim, uh, preferably through a process of mechanical testing, which can be used then by our sales teams, even before the person raises the hesitation to say, it, it's you can trust the system because it's compliant in these ways and you can see this level of substantiation. The actual way of substantiating it will change depending on the privacy requirements. But I think one of the more interesting ways to do it is to, at the uh, once the, the machine is out in production, is to honeypot it and to see if those things that you said you would keep private actually end up in the corporate uh, data flows where they shouldn't be. And you can identify it because it's honeypotted. Uh, so things like that bubble up, but only if you move from this kind of claims driven approach about what we're actually trying to substantiate and how substantiating that builds trust in the system to make the economic gain. Um, with regards to data quality, I think from a first principles approach, it's not necessarily true to say things like uh, garbage in means garbage out. You can imagine at least in a deeply theoretical perspective that someone could transform garbage into something really, really powerful. And I think you can see kind of the seeds of that in things like ChatGPT trained on the internet. 
very easy to say there's a lot of garbage data there and we get something that isn't garbage out. Well, a really good example of this is um, when you have a really good chef and they have terrible ingredients, they can still make something if they know how to wield these ingredients uh, and the limitations of them. Um, but if you have a poor chef, then obviously they can't make much out of poor ingredients. So it's understanding that, yeah, I think that limitations and claims idea. Yeah, so it comes back to if you have a data quality issue, the way to figure out how to resolve it is to understand how the deficiency in your data contributes to one of the claims that you need to substantiate failing and then trying to work your way through that. This actually kind of reminds me of a saying that uh, someone's uh, trash is someone else's uh, treasure. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> the trash for one decision could be treasure for another one. Exactly. Yeah. Great. That brings me to another aspect of the maybe the conversation. How about the human values and ethical principle? How do you ensure that AI systems are aligned with those? Oh. We believe that you need to take the same approach as you would any other claim about the AI system. What you're saying is that someone who you want to persuade to see the decision needs to know that the uh, that some ethical condition is satisfied mm -hmm. before they're willing to, to give over that decision. Um, this doesn't have to be the end user. It could be someone on the team who's somehow contributing to the discussion, maybe a stakeholder, and you need to persuade them. Um, so when you're, fo when you're forcing this claims-driven approach to AI ethics, you require, it's requiring some sort of alignment and it's much more measurable and defensible rather than what is potentially the most evasive question known to humanity because ethics is entirely personal and relative. AI ethics can often be this full stop in the conversation because it's challenging to relate these concerns to a concrete measurable outcome. So it's our job as AI engineers to do that work needed in order to elucidate the, their concerns and to assuage them. Yeah, and maybe this is somewhat relatable to that, maybe um, kind of building on top of how to communicate uh, those decisions. How mm -hmm. do you present that uh, and what actions the AI would do to the stakeholders and the users? Well, yeah, that I, honestly, I think the problem right now is that a large body of stakeholders in AI systems are not sufficiently equipped with the language they need to express the claims in which the system needs to attest to for them to comfort, comfortably seed a decision. Um, so when going to engage stakeholders, you need to change your language, not to be graded down or filled with explanations, but instead to talk about AI in terms that are universal. Yeah, so most of our research work and what we've discussed today has been centered around this idea that we can equip everyone to talk more meaningfully about AI systems by moving to these universal first principles. If you're seeding a decision to a system, you're going to understand a lot about that decision if you're the person who owns it or has a stake in it. And the work that we've done has just been when you can express that, how can we translate it very quickly into mechanical things that can actually be actioned 
which moves the discussion entirely away from esoteric technical language. Like we haven't actually had to mention the word neural net or anything like that to talk about any of these risks and come up with uh, ways to redress them. So once you shift that language, it makes it really easy for stakeholders to meaningfully communicate. I really like that question. <laughs> yeah, no, interesting. There, it's, it's, there are many things to maybe factor in and consider, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure there will be lots of trade-offs that we need to do down the track or along the way, basically, between security, functionality, and even usability of the AI system. How do you go by managing those trade-offs? Uh I guess this is slightly controversial, but for us, mm. it's not necessarily true that, the, that there is any type of trade-off at all. I think there is a myth which gets in the way of building effective systems. So if you accept that the main goal is to basically build this highway, which we call trust, so that a decision can be ceded to the system, then there are three ideas actually all working together in order to make that highway as frictionless as possible. Um, do you like yeah, so when we think about security, for example, which we actually internally call uh, robustness of the system to corruption, then we're talking about substantiating claims that the system is trustworthy enough to be highly usable and functional for the decision. So when you shift the idea about everything is geared towards making the system um, have this highway of trust, then the, the trade-offs that might eventuate from security will always outweigh. So the system now, for instance, although you have something that might make it slower to make a decision, the system must be more usable because the security claim has amplified that highway of trust to make the decision easier to give over. Um, there is often with security mechanisms like a reciprocal cost. So for instance, the cost of training a system uh, to adversarial conditions is greater than one that hasn't been trained in such a way. And you can find that most of that is borne by the supplier of the AI company uh, generally rather than the end user. So I think what we're saying is that the trade-offs in terms of managing them, if there are any, is expressing why having that particular reciprocal cost will actually improve the usability functionality of the system because the security creates a better condition of trust. And this is kind of borrowed from uh, a big push in the security industry to understand security controls as enablers of trust and trust as an enabler of commercial business. And adoption. And adoption. Yeah, and to finish off, uh, basically what we have seen in the last year is like rapid advance in AI and kind of this uh, kind of two little questions in here is how do you keep up with all of the innovation and how you look into the future of where you want to go? Um, so we think the best way is to move from first principles. I mean, it's an approach where which our ideas um, focus on what's, what's the underlying difference between AI and other technologies and it is this decision points and what are the claims needed to, to trust on it. Um, do you want to add anything from that? When you're trying to predict AI technologies, I think the easiest way to understand what's likely to happen next that's going to make a big impact is to see how would particular changes open up either new decisions to the opportunity of being seeded or make more meaningful decisions, uh, more meaningful sessions of existing decisions. The, 
thing that that does is by shifting down to kind of this undercurrent is make it feel less like a torrent of change and more like a logical kind of progression towards helping people give over more to AI systems. And a lot of the work that we've done is intended to try and be as predictive as possible. And we found like moderate success in terms of that we don't feel destabilized by significant changes because for instance, generative AI hasn't fundamentally changed this idea of giving decisions over to a system. It's just enabled a whole suite of different decisions now. That's very cool. Uh, that, I guess, brings us to the end of our episode. Thanks a lot, both of you, Sam and Josh, for joining us. It was really interesting to hear from uh, your insight on the AI insecurity, basically. I have a few more questions, but I will leave that for our, for our next, uh, maybe, settings uh, in future. Um, I really Thank enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having us. Our pleasure. Uh, I, I do, I'm sure that our audiences and listeners will enjoy this session as well. Thanks a lot for joining. Until next time, have a good one, everyone. Cheers.